Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for sending your Son to be the bread of life. Lord, that as you call us to yourself, that you provide for all of our needs of body and soul. Lord, that as we eat his body and drink his blood, that you nourish us not just for this life, but also for the next. This morning, break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. I've realized that as a parent, one of the cool things that you get to do is kind of relive some of those favorite childhood books and movies, those things that you kind of had outgrown for a while, but all of a sudden they're really cool again because now you see them through smaller eyes. And a while back we watched Hook for the first time in a long time, and I remember how much I loved this movie, and there is a scene where Peter goes to sit down at the dinner table with the Lost Boys, and they bring out these steaming trays. And as they lift the covers off, there's nothing on them. They are empty. And Peter starts to get upset. And then they say, you have to imagine it. And everybody knows the line where they say, bang a ring. And there's this huge food fight because all of a sudden this food just happens to appear out of nowhere and there is a feast fit for a king. This morning I would invite you to turn your attention to our gospel text from John chapter 6. Perception may be reality, but the truth will set you free. By this point in our narrative, the people have had their bellies fed. And now as Jesus begins to transition them from spiritual milk to spiritual meat, they choke on the bread of life. They're looking for a cheap meal. And maybe some words of inspiration like, love your neighbor and be a good person, that kind of stuff... But when it comes time to get down to brass tacks, they aren't interested in the how or the why. And so they choke on the spiritual meat that Jesus is feeding them. Perception has a habit of being established without any permission. Very rarely do we have control over what other people think and feel about us. And if we could, man, that world would be terrible. If we could actually control the thoughts and feelings of those around us and be able to manipulate them enough so that they feel the way that we want them to feel and think the way that we want them to think, man, that life would be so boring.
But there's always a little bit of excitement. But the problem with perception is that it's something that's beyond our control and there is any infinite number of options for how a story is told. And only one of those options is actually the truth. Over the past week, I've had the privilege of getting to go fishing a couple times and as I post pictures from the trip on Facebook, we have friends down in the lower 48 that think, man, you're either a really great fisherman or they're just jumping into your boat. You know that's not true on either case. But the perception becomes reality. So we fall on excuses for why we didn't or don't do what is healthy for us. We say things like, it wasn't my fault, or I didn't know, or I couldn't help it, or I would never. When the truth of the matter is that we say all of those things to avoid admitting that it's my fault. I screwed up. I am the one that hurt you, and I'm sorry. The foundation of perception is an assumption that reality is then built upon. Towards the end of our text today, the Gospel of John calls these people disciples. And it says that as they choke on this spiritual meat that Jesus is feeding them, that many of his disciples turned and walked away. They go home. But the reality is, when they ask the question of who can listen to this hard saying, who can actually swallow what God is feeding us? We can't assume folks have their facts right when we encounter confusion. In the days of the early Christians, the Romans assumed that because they said they were eating the body and blood of their Lord Jesus Christ, that they were indeed cannibals. And when you hear a text like today's, it's not hard to imagine why. But this was weird. This was even unconscionable by Roman standards, which, for all intensive purposes, speaks volumes because they were a vulgar, pagan culture that had no problem with putting people in the arena and watching them die, but all of a sudden they have a problem with this. This was well past their comfort zone. They couldn't make sense of it. And frankly, it was about as much as some of them were even interested in hearing. 
They already have their minds made up and their hearts hardened towards Christ. And then there are others still that just needed patience intact. And not just a piece of the story, but the whole truth of God's Spirit. The truth is, we are all addicted to our own sins. And God calls us out of slavery by removing every other option. But rock bottom looks different for every addict. And the frequency and depth is different too. So is the rate of speed in which we reach it. But when you hit the bottom and the only thing you can do is look up at the only option you have, at the light that still shines over you, the gospel of Jesus unsettles the status quo after many of his disciples leave. Jesus turns to the twelve and says, are you going to go too? They've already left. What about you? Are you going to stick around? Are you actually going to fight and wrestle through whatever this is to make sense of it, to understand, to follow me until I die and watch me rise again? Or are you going to leave before we ever get to the good stuff like everyone else? And there's a point here where he actually says in the gospel today that Jesus already knew who was going to walk away and he already knew who was going to betray him and yet it says he turns to the 12. Not the 11 plus Judas, but in fact the 12. That Judas was still considered one of the 12 disciples. This self-selected calling was a willful rejection of God's gifts of spirit and life. Jesus doesn't send them away. They walk away by their own choice and volition. They had had a taste of the buffet of grace and still wanted to keep their options open. Options give us an out. And Jesus is clear today that he is the only way in. The lie of having options is that we don't actually have any. And Peter's answer to Jesus today says it all. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We can't find that anywhere else. It only comes from you, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's no other option but you. I've shared before that I am a foodie by heart and by stomach. I love to experience culture and cuisine through different experiences of the taste buds and 
You sometimes get to a restaurant and you look at the menu and the menu is so vast and broad that it's paralyzing to actually make a decision. They've got a thousand options that you can choose from and about a hundred of them look amazing. And then you go to other places and they've got like six things on their menu. These are what we do really well tonight and this is all you can get and we're going to do the absolute best we can and I promise you won't be disappointed. And God says, watch this. Take away everything else in the periphery. Take away all of the other options. Take away all of the other distractions and he says, watch this. The Word of God shapes and norms every aspect of our life. In other words, our politics, our relationships, our work, our family are all shaped by the Word of God rather than the other way around. We call this proof texting when it actually removes scripture from context and we think man I need a passage in God's word that's going to make my point and so you say I'm go I've got to make this point and so you flip through the Bible and you think oh well, that's it that says it right there my wife is supposed to submit to me in all things wrong because it mixes that whole thing up when it talks about Adam and Eve actually Having this relationship like a ballroom dance where Adam's job is supposed to make Eve look good and it's Eve's job to let him. And there's this balance between the two. But when we pull things right out of context, we can make the word of God say anything we want to prove any point that we can have. And yet the entirety of it shapes and norms every aspect of our life and not the other way around. Following Christ leaves us with no other option but to be fed up with just watching the world vainly run in pursuit of other options to save themselves. We are called and compelled to not stay silence in response to suffering and injustice in the world around us. Lord, to whom shall we go? In our Old Testament text for the day, Joshua gathers all the people of God together at Shechem and says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, the Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. In other words, you've had all of these other options. Now, serve the Lord 
in sincerity and faithfulness, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've always thought that would be a really awesome tattoo on my forearm. But it'd have to be in Hebrew because then people ask questions. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people had options, but only one true God. Content with a steady diet of God's body and blood, we are called to walk with broken folks and give away our hope. Lord, to whom shall we go with the words of eternal life? Last week we talked about how we are called to serve through acts of service, intentional discipleship, and invitations to worship. Two weeks ago, our Color Kingdom VBS had the joy and privilege of getting to tell over 40 children the gospel of Jesus Christ all week long. Today, this also highlights a huge opportunity that we have to serve our neighbors through our partnership with Anchor Lutheran School. You see, a bunch of these VBS kids came because as they walked out of the child watch room, there was a table set up tactfully right there with all of these awesome name tags. And they said, well, those for me and... Mr. Sawyer would say, well, they could be. You just need to come to VBS and hear about why. As a ministry, we're called to share life with our anchor families just as much as we share our space. In terms of intentional discipleship, we have a few Bible studies that happen throughout the week. And we are planning to start one to two more in the fall, and I would ask, how will you help? We are about to begin a new season of confirmation and junior high discipleship. How can you be a mentor to some of our youth? Our senior high youth will be preparing to return to the National Youth Gathering with 30,000 other LCMS youth next summer. How will you help them get there? And invitations to worship. As we seek to grow our worship, how can you use your time and talents to serve? as we embrace our identity as an intergenerational church, how can you help welcome young families and children? 
Or how can you seek out opportunities to learn from others with experience? As we strive to create space for folks to belong and to learn how to believe, how can you be intentional in the way that you spend time with folks? You see, the gospel changes everything. And when they ask, how can anyone hear this hard thing? It's because it changes everything about who they are and everything they will be and everything they will do, see, and hear. It changes everything. So that they too can say with us, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So that God alone gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.